This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Rick Young, CFO Tango, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 552. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Valerie Berman, CFO of GuideSpark. After 10 years inside the investment banking's M&A realm, Valerie Berman took on senior corporate development roles at Business Objects and SAP. She also served as general counsel for a number of different tech firms. All of it as she explains, prepared her to step into the CFO office at GuideSpark. Our discussion with Valerie Berman begins after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. I came to the role through 
really needed to do, at least in the few years, first few years of being a sentence taker, was really buckle down and learn the core, the core finance skills, as well as financial modeling skills. I'd actually never even used Excel before my first day as a sentence taker. And so it really gave me that core foundation that really helps me today as a finance leader. In addition to that, it actually gave me an opportunity to really understand how public companies work, capital markets work, various funding vehicles, um, both the debt and equity side. And I would say the most important thing that I learned in that experience was how boards, corporate boards, make their biggest, most important strategic decisions. And being able to be in the room and have access to those very senior people making very big decisions when I was so fairly young in my career has given me the opportunity to have an intuitive sense of how these decisions get made. So I'd say that's the first pillar of experience that I've taken with me. The second is very different. I actually had the opportunity to work at two large public software companies. The first was the French company, Dubinmatex, and then it was acquired by SAP, and I stayed to work at SAP. And what I was able to do there was have the opportunity to work in many different roles, both those companies allowed you to change roles frequently. And I had the opportunity to think about business development, technology partnerships, site engineering, and product management. And so that sort of breadth of experience is something that I've taken with me, not necessarily for my core finance role, but for my ability to understand cross-function what's important to my peers. So I'd say that's the second pillar. And then the third is similar to what I do here at GuideSpark, is I had the opportunity to work at two um, private venture-backed tech companies, um, the first being MindGen and through acquisition, a company called Spigot. And there I added the general counsel role, going back to the fact that I actually have a lawyer, um, which gave me sort of that unique insight in how deals get done, especially in technology transactions. Um, that really drive growth and sales. So I would say those three perspectives, though a bit of a roundabout way to becoming a CFO, have really led me to a place where I can be a CFO with both a business-minded sort of strategic approach. I just want to uh, point out that uh, I think it's interesting. You studied uh, psychology undergrad, and then you go back for uh, a law degree at Stanford. What's was the business world where you were headed? Did you ever contemplate becoming a partner in a law firm, or was it always going to be, uh, in fact, M&A and business? Um, I'd love to say it was a deliberate path forward, but it wasn't. Um, the psychology degree is probably, honestly, what I use the most every day in my life uh, in terms of working with people, understanding organizations, understanding my kids. Um, but uh, when I was an undergrad and then when I went to law school, I think I pursued education in part for its own sake. I loved academics and I loved school. I don't think there was necessarily some plan that I was working towards. My mother had been a law professor my whole life, so law school seemed like a natural, uh, natural fit for me. Um, when it came time to decide what I was going to do, I did on-campus interviews and I did everything. I did interviews with management consulting firms, investment banks, and law firms. And at the end of the day, over Thanksgiving holiday at my parents' house in Tahoe, my mother actually ended up flipping a coin. And so I decided to go into investment banking. I thought I would probably do it for a year or two and then go to a law firm. But I loved it and continued to progress. 
why when I had the opportunity, like I said, at Mindshift to become the general counsel, I welcomed it because there was a part of me that always felt like I really should be using my legal background. And the other, the other moment in time I ask you about is uh, you were at Lehman Brothers for eight years. You leave in 2006. You're just two years away from the downturn or 18 months, whatever it might have been. Did you see anything coming? Did you see turbulence in the in the future? Did you, was your move in part related to that changing economic environment? It actually was not. Um, I don't. I think it was clear that there had been and were going to be bubbles, and obviously lived through the internet boom and bust of the late 90s and early 2000s as well. Um, so it's not it's not a new concept, especially if you're in Silicon Valley and live in the Bay Area. You can see it based on commutes and traffic patterns and, and all of that. Um, but um, no, it wasn't um, deliberately because of that, and there certainly was nothing at the time that Lehman Brothers, at least on me and the main investment banking side, that would have led us to believe that um, that it would go the direction that it did. Uh, timing's everything sometimes, so appreciate you. Yeah, I think I got lucky. <laughs> there. Uh, a number of your colleagues, I'm sure, have a different story back in time than he did. I want to ask you about Guide Sparking. This was an opportunity uh, you had uh, so far pursued a number of them. You built your career inside the technology realm uh, by now as you arrive in the, uh, the, the CFO office at GuideSpark. Tell, tell us about the opportunity you saw in this and the offerings that GuideSpark uh, have in the marketplace today. So there are many things that attracted me to the opportunity at GuideSpark, and one of them is the market opportunity. Um, in the tech space, you can't invent the market opportunity. You can help create a market, but a problem and a need needs to be real. And so the problem and the need that is real here is one that resonates with everyone that we talk to, whether it's a prospect and existing customer or just another source within the ecosystem, which is the fact that in career template communications as they currently exist are broken. Right now, what employers are doing is interacting with a deluge of non-targeted emails that are sent to company home. And they fail not only to reach and engage employees, but they fail to drive the business outcomes that the company is trying to achieve. And so the ability to address the problem in a unique way, which is outside the park approaches it, was something that was incredibly interesting to me. Because we do change, we do fundamentally impact the businesses that choose to use our software and solutions. And so the way that we do this is twofold. First, we have Guidesburg Community Cloud, which is a SaaS software platform that orchestrates um, corporate communication. And then we also have Guidesburg Community Journeys. And these are integrated experiences into my campaigns, sort of like marketing campaigns, as well as content experiences and analytics. And they're focused on a particular topic or initiative. So think if the CEO wants to drive culture change in their organization, they actually need to communicate that culture change in a way that is not only heard, but embraced and internalized. There are other use cases, um, for example, digital transformation is something that our customers use us for frequently, and we also find that talent and performance management is another area that tends to be of great importance for our customers. And so I would say the market opportunity being real and concrete and something that resonates with all of us that work at a company, as well 
first of all, I think we instituted a regular team meeting in which we talk about company strategy, company products, in which we cascade learnings from various departments. So that's one. The second is the leaders on, on my team are now part of the extended leadership team at GuideSpark, and we do regular cross-functional meetings where we work on initiatives that span various aspects of the, of the company's business. And then thirdly, the various team members are now part of mentor circles that allow them not just to grow their individual finance skills, but any other skills outside of that that they want to learn or pursue. The other thing that I would say that, that we're looking to um, grow in is regarding our ability to provide insights. And I will be honest that the team um, really was spending much of its time on reporting, and the reporting was excellent, but it's not necessarily forward-looking insights that the business needs to really make solid business decisions and drive growth in an evolving, changing market. And that's one area where we're working very closely with sales ops and marketing ops to ensure that we're really giving our business partners the most meaningful, amazing indicators and predictive data to help them in their endeavors. I always like to I'm curious when you say we're working more closely with sales ops. Uh, you've, you've made an effort to regularly communicate with um, the, the senior sales um, piece of your organization. And is that just boiled down to uh, meetings? Does it boil down to, you know, sort of breakout sessions? When you work more closely, how do you, obviously you establish the relationship, but I'm curious what it means to you when you say that. So, first of all, we're hiring the people. <laughs> so, we hired a senior director of sales operations, and then we hired an analyst to work with him with extensive sales force and market experience. So, that's number one, making sure the right people are in place. And then number two is really just rolling up our cities and working together. So, yes, they're meetings, but they're not just chat meetings. They're going into various um, data models, whether it be in NetSuite, Marketo, Salesforce, ensuring that we are collecting the data that we need, that we understand how it interflows between the various systems, and then figuring out how we can pull that data out and do meaningful analysis on it together. So, yes, it's meetings, but I would say it's, it's down to the nitty-gritty work when we're together. Interesting. Um, that, uh, that type of meeting, we believe, Many CFOs are having now more frequently. Many aren't. But that type of identifying the data sets or identifying the data that's strategic and how do we routinely make uh, that data available to us so we can begin, uh, you know, identifying patterns, however you'd like to characterize it. I'm wondering how often you hit data. How many of those meetings are just running down blind alleys? What have you done to prevent yourself from? chasing after what's not useful and what is. So for us, it's not so much about chasing what's not useful. Um, we haven't really run into that as often yet. It's more about ensuring that our work is impactful, which is very easy to start just cleaning up data for the sake of cleaning it up. And instead, we have to make sure that we're focusing on collecting data for insight purposes. So it's, it's not so much that we have the wrong insight, wrong hypothesis, we get the wrong data, let's start over. It's more that we 
it's easy to get caught up in the operations of it and ensuring that things are clean for operational reasons, as opposed to really focusing on answering key questions and understanding the trends that are going to be important in the future. Which, as you said, it, it's hard, it's sort of unknowable to know in advance what it's going to be. And so some of it is trial and error. Um, but for the most part, it's been it's been effective. Now, again, we're at the about metrics, but uh, this being a SaaS company, I think we're just going, you're going to echo the, the, the ones we know so well, renewable revenues and, and uh, lifetime customer value perhaps, and, uh, but perhaps there's one related to the, the workforce and talent um, that you could share with us that you're paying close attention to these days or, or is sought to, to make more visible uh, inside the organization, across it, or to a certain part of the organization, whatever it might be, there are metrics that's become more top of mind for you. So I would say the one that's become most top of mind for me right now is actually net retention. Um, you're right. And historically, we've just looked at all the traditional fast metrics, whether it be ARR, ARR growth, growth margin, sales velocity, efficiency, et cetera, middle rates. And now we really think about expansion. And especially as guys the market become increasingly um, enterprise-focused, each one of our customers has so many opportunities for us to improve the way that they communicate that we really think about this, not just as how many menu logos, we think about it as how are we increasingly adding value to our existing customer base, and so that expansion ARR has become an increasing area of focus. We're up to our... Uh, what we call our finance uh, strategic moment question. It's sort of the question, the broad question that we ask every finance leader. And of course, you've had so many of these during the course of your career. Uh, but and we're just asking you to cherry pick one that would help us reveal how finance plays such a strategic role in business today. Um, so let me just ask it as plain, given your line of sight in the organization, what comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Sure. So my finance strategic moment actually happened about six or seven years into being an investment banker. It probably should have happened sooner, but I'm glad it happened when it did. And we were pitching a potential multi-billion dollar deal to Oracle in the mid-2000s. Now we're trying to say my was, but um, as you can imagine, our teams have spent an countless hours preparing really complex financial models, getting exact EPS impacts and the like. And when we went to the meeting, we obviously, I, <laughs> explained all the multitude of numeric assumptions that were built into the model, right? So this was like an hour of conversation of every number that I had memorized that the team had prepared for me. And when I was done speaking, Sabercast was asking one question. What strategy was embedded in the model? So, of course, at that point, my corporate finance relationship bankers chimed in and said that, you know, the reason this combination makes sense was X, Y, and Z, and it was an incredibly strategic deal, and this is why you should do it. And then she repeated her question, and when we hesitated the second time, she just said, the strategy is only a strategy. It can be and is reflected in the numbers. And I don't know if I ever have known exactly what that meant, but that sentence has always stuck 
thinking about it in both directions, which is how can I, as the finance person in the room, take other people's ideas and strategy or combined ideas and strategy and turn them into financial metrics and a financial model that we can all drive forward on. So that direction, and I think about it also in the opposite direction, which is when there are numbers on a page or a model, thinking about what story the trends in the data tell. So thinking about that both directions from strategy to modeling and back to modeling to strategy, and it's really something that has been with me. When we return, CFO Valerie Berman enters the mentoring with us after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back and we've ended the mentoring round with CFO Valerie Berman. Valerie, what is it that's exciting you about finance and business today? Sure. So every two years, McKinsey conducts a research on the evolution of the CFO, and then they publish a podcast that talks about findings, and that podcast came out over the summer. And there were, you know, five or six key findings, and the one that resonated the most with me was that the CFO rule has become a cross-functional CFO generalist, and that the expectation is that the CFO be able to consider many perspectives and be focused on the long term as opposed to quarterly results. And that actually is a very big change, at least from what I saw um, working with public company CFOs when I started my career over 20 years ago to today. And that evolution is something that attracted me to the role and also enabled me to be successful in the role. And what I think about in terms of people coming up in their careers through the finance function is that this sort of breadth of, of expectations has enabled folks who are rising through those ranks to really think about not only their finance skills, but think about how they're going to contribute to the company in an impactful business Valerie, uh, we want to take you back to uh, the first time uh, you stepped into the CFO office there at Guidespark and asked you what it was that you wish someone had told you. Again, um, you had had these very senior management roles all along, but uh, you're finally the CFO. And again, we talked about the controller hire and all of what that means, but you're finally the CFO. And uh, here's the piece of information you wish someone had told you. What is that? What is that piece of information you wish someone had told you? Wow. Okay, great question. Um, it feels very different to be in a finance role, and I think it ends up being more similar to being in a general counsel role, is that in a lot of ways, if you don't make the effort to actually be part of the business, you can quickly get separated from it. And so ensuring that 
more noise are, so that you can stay completely in sync. And that was much easier to do when I had a business rule and you were in all the meetings, the business focused meetings. So once you're in finance and your focus is on finance or in legal and your focus is on legal, making sure to maintain those connections and maintain that currency in terms of where the business is going and how you can support driving it together. And like I said before, even anticipate that change is really important. So I think even though I knew that, being reminded of it going in um, would have been helpful, but did get caught up with these initially and making sure we're hard to control or making sure the systems were right, thinking about um, those types of things. And so getting back more quickly to that business focus um, would have served me well. That said, I do want to go back to sort of when I originally started my career in finance and the things that people did tell me that I found really helpful because they're the same things I find myself 20 years later telling people who looked at me for advice. And there are really three or four things that come to mind. And the first being to always understand the meaning behind your work. Like the example I gave when you're pitching that deal at Oracle, it's easy to just get out caught in the numbers and make sure your numbers are right and you circle them to make sure they're perfect and really talk about numbers. But understanding the meaning behind it and why it's important to the people you're communicating with, I think, is the top priority. And then second, really realizing that communication skills are key. And that's what we're talking about in terms of visualizing data or communicating properly in a non-financial concept in a non-financial way. It's really important to practice that. And when I was new in my career, I practiced it frequently. And I asked people on my team to do that as well and to stand up at their meeting meetings and talk about it and things like that in ways that our peers which ones might have contributed to their professional success. When you think about if there's a habit that you have, uh, there's a part of your daily routine that you've kept in place for years, perhaps. Anything come to mind? Yes, absolutely. And it's not part of a daily routine. And despite my best intentions of having the balanced life, daily life I'm supposed to have, I commute. Uh, an insane amount of time in the car. I have kids, I'm working, etc. And so my daily life, to be honest with you, is not that balanced. But what I make sure to do is have a balanced week. And so once, at least one day a week, I go completely off the grid. Fortunately, my husband and children like to do the same. So we have a tiny house, 
a piece of property that's off the grid, no cell phone, no Wi-Fi, and we like to go there and have friends over, go by water rafting or kayaking if it's the right season, and in the winter, we do the same, but we can ski. A wonderful uh, escape hatch for everybody. Is there a book you'd recommend to uh, your finance for your peers and inspiring Wouldn't that be fine? So, I have different books that I recently read in preparation for um, executive offsite. It's called Multipliers. I think it's actually called Multipliers How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. And it's by Liz Wiseman. And the research in that, that, that forms the basis of that book shows that leadership behaviors can be placed on a continuum with multiplier behaviors on one end and diminishing behaviors on the other. And what multiplier behaviors are, they're behaviors that amplify or multiply the intelligence of the people around them. And so by tapping into everyone's sort of best selves and the, their high level of contribution or productivity, you obviously together are going to be much more successful at achieving your goals. And what I like about the book is that it gives actually pragmatic advice on how to increase the proportion of multiplier behaviors that you exhibit. It's not necessarily about one or the other, it's just the way it is. It's, hey, we all know which end of that spectrum we want to be. And how do we slowly but surely just increase the proportion of signs that we're multiplier when we're part of the group? And then secondly, if I may, I'd like to recommend a podcast, um, which is on NPR, and it's called How I Built It with Guy Raz. And what the podcast is, is it's, interview, it's interviews with founders of well-known companies, and each episode is a different company. And there's a wide range of companies in different industries, like Wilby Parker, the glasses industry instructor, Tom's of Maine, the toothpaste is our natural product company, or Five Guys, which is a family burger chain. And what the podcast does really well is provide sort of an authentic look at, at the company's path to success and just reminds you that no path is linear and that there are ups and downs in each of these and the ability to sort of persevere through that is what has made these companies so, these companies so successful. And it's also just really focused and entertaining. So I love to listen to it when I'm on one of my commutes. Yeah, three true uh, podcast listeners, they say on average, uh, have seven uh, different podcasts that they listen to and how I built this job. That is one of mine as well. So we'll put that forth to our listening audience. We are up to our final question, uh, where I get to ask you to look forward finally and tell us what your priorities are as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. So my priorities are driving growth. My number one priority is driving growth and ensuring that we have replicability and accuracy in our ability to forecast that growth um, so that we can make the appropriate investments against that. Um, so that's my number one priority. Um, my second priority, which is related to that, is getting to a place where the, as a team, the finance organization can deliver the right data with meaningful insights that are communicated either visually or verbally in a way that can be understood so that in an evolving market with constant change, so that the business leaders who are my peers are able to make the right necessary decisions at the right time to make sure that we're back and find the ability to capture the market opportunity. So that's number two. And then number three, as we discussed before, my priority is ensuring that I have a team that is in 
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.